Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking for a second time with David Allen. David is the Chief Information Security Officer for the state of Georgia. He's also an adjunct professor of cybersecurity at Georgia State University. David, welcome back to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Hey, Sean. It's great to be back with you. It's uh it hasn't been that long, but with uh, COVID and dog years, I mean, it feels like an eternity since uh, you and I last spoke. So I appreciate the invite to come back. Well, you're welcome, first off. And as always, David, it's you and the other guests that make this such a pleasure to do. So thank you for coming back on. And I'm looking forward to the time that we have together over the next few minutes. So, David, for those that may not have had a chance to listen to our previous time together. Can you share a little bit of your background with our audience? Sure. So you stated my role and I've, I've been in this role for a little over two years now, coming into it in April of 2019. Prior to that, I was the CIO G6 full-time of the Georgia Army National Guard. So I, I did IT and cyber operations for them for about 10 years. Prior to that, I was you know in the private sector, companies like Bell South, Accenture, uh, spent some time in a company called Wayne Farms in North Georgia for the poultry industry doing doing ERP type projects. You know, straight out of college, I was I was active duty, was commissioned officer. Um, so I did that for four years and continued on in the guard and just recently a year ago retired as a as a colonel out of the Georgia Army National Guard. So and then you mentioned my newest endeavor, you know, doing some some adjunct faculty work for Georgia State University, which I'm I'm very excited about, excited about that student body and um, their new president and where they're going. So been a lot going on and um, you know, happy, happy to be here and, and share some thoughts with you. Okay. So David, that cybersecurity professor, um, adjunct professor role, um, as you said, that's, that's very recent. I think that's this year, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. What, what led to you taking on that new role? Well, it started just with the relationship with them. Uh, there is a former uh, CIO from here in the state that was over there doing similar work and started just doing like some guest lecture with some of their students. And then that led to hosting some of their students doing some capstone events in my organization, giving them some projects and things of that nature. So we went through that for a couple of years. And then, you know, I expressed the interest that that's something I'm just always thought about taking a stab at and um, and they've been experiencing some tremendous growth. So it's like, you know, come on down, you know, we'd love to have you. So, you know, it's been uh, exciting. Uh, you know, we're getting actually getting started uh, this week uh, with the program. So I've been putting a lot of preparation into that, just trying to get ready to to do the best I can for those students and, and release them into the wild and go do great things in the cybersecurity field. Well, David, that's so amazing. And one of the things that you said that I want to highlight for the audience is relationships. I think sometimes in technology, we focus only on the process and the technology part of PPT, right? But it's people, process, and technology. And, you know, people, that's what's behind every decision that we make. And so it's great that, you know, you are serving this, you know, up and coming generation of leaders in cybersecurity and imparting your knowledge. I, I think that's a good thing for you to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that hits on the primary point of my journey just as an executive. 
you know, I started out in the project management world and, you know, we know you're kind of a mile wide and an inch deep and it continues to be that way as an executive. So you, you try to focus on the technology and learn as much as you can, but, um, you know, getting, getting up to this level, you know, as a, as an introvert, you know, by nature, you know, developing that, uh, kind of relationship thing and how you interact with people and all that has, has just, has just been the key. So that's, that's got a lot to do with my success and what we're doing here and, and getting, you know, those opportunities like that. You know, you're, you're right. It really is about the people, you know, former boss, the adjutant general card. And he's, you know, he always used to say every business is a people business and, you know, he's absolutely right. So, you know, that's, that continues to be a focus of mine. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to highlight is the fact that um, prior to taking on this adjunct professor role, you know, you being involved and then allowing students to come over to your area at the state of Georgia to get firsthand kind of real world experience. I know obviously students can do internships and, you know, they can you know be working a full time job while going to school. But I think it's always great when you're able to take what you're learning in that class in the moment and then have the opportunity to go and apply that, you know, as you've allowed them to do, you know, for the different capstone projects. Right. I've got a particular soft spot for the, you know, Georgia State uh, student body and just kind of their makeup. I mean, it's it, it's obvious I'm not a minority, but I do have a lot in common with a few other things of that student body. You know, one is, you know, a uh, vast majority of them are first generation college students, which what I was. And two, you know, there there's quite a few that come from a low socioeconomic background, uh, which also uh, describes me and it's primary reason why I went in the military to be able to have money to go to college and things like that. Cause that was, you know, that was one of the only real options I had, you know, in front of me. So, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance during that time in my life. So being able to interact with students like that and give them, you know, give them some of that guidance and advice and try and shepherd, like when they're getting at the start of their career, you know, that's still something I don't, I don't, you know, we just try to get them through school and get their classes and, and get out. But, you know, just those personal opportunities to interact and say, what do you want to do? You know, let me let me help you out. Let me help you look at a few things and, you know, paint the real picture, because I mean, that even happened to me when I was going into army. You know, you're you're in a military academy and they're stamping you in like one mold and, and everything's oriented a certain way. But, you know, they still don't tell you all the different opportunities and jobs and, you know, they're, you know, so I always just felt like if it had been properly explained to me, I would have done some things differently, you know, but um, I just hope I can be that person and actually provide some of that insight for the students. And, you know, I've gotten some pretty positive feedback from the students I have come into contact with. So, so that's what makes me excited. And it gets to really the things I did enjoy uh, as a military officer was just the time I did spend with my soldiers you know, setting them up to be successful, being successful as a team. You know, those are the things I like the best. And and when when they were successful, I felt like I had a part in that. So to try and recapture some of that through this opportunity, I think uh, that's that's just what makes me the most excited about it. Again, that's that's an amazing thing to do. And I, I appreciate your heart for giving back. That's that's always you know something that we we, we should always strive to be givers and not just takers. And so um, thank you for doing that. All right. So, David, you mentioned the fact that you're former military officer and in light of everything that's going on currently in 
August of 2021, which is when we're recording this particular episode, I did want to get your perspective um, from a technology standpoint. With what's going on, what are your insights or what, what are you thinking from a technology standpoint as it relates to what's going on. All right. So, you know, during my time in the Guard, I did actually deploy with the Georgia Brigade as their uh, chief communications officer. Uh, we were we were in Kabul in, in 2012, and our job was really to be responsible for the the bases, what, what they called the Kabul base cluster. So we ran those bases. We also you know, had oversight over the quick reaction forces in the region, working with Turkey, working with the British and a bunch of other, you know, countries that were there doing, you know, the advise and, and mentor mission for, for the ANA and for the police and things of that nature. And also doing, you know, at that phase of the conflict, we were into, you know, nation building and things. So, you know, building schools, building wells, you know, a lot of engineering projects. And from that standpoint, you know, I was involved in, in the infrastructure piece as far as getting modern telecommunications, fiber, fiber runs, things like that into these different areas. Because even at that point, starting from scratch, I mean, there was nothing in Afghanistan when we first went in there. I mean, there's, there's barely phone communication. So trying to bring them into the into the into the now with technology, I mean, there's just a lot of work to do. And it is, you know, a big country, a lot of remote areas, uh, you know, rough areas. So you know, that kind of thing takes years and years and years, and they need a lot of support for it. Because, you know, when you think about the modern technology, you need a, a modern workforce to be able to manage that technology long term. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there just was not a lot of educational background for many of them. So, you know, you could always tell it was going to be a struggle at whatever point that we we transferred things or tried to transfer things. And, and you know, even at, during that time, you know, we were in the process of transferring, drawing down in certain places. You know, it's it's not like we didn't telegraph you know, the intent and everybody didn't know where the goal was as far as being able to hand over things to the Afghan government. But just so much going against them in that regard to where you saw it was going to be difficult to say, hey, here, go. Now this Cisco router is yours, you know, go manage it and, you know, get the parts for it. And and all those things, you know, are just tremendously uh, difficult in that country. So it has it has been a rough week for a lot of us, just, you know, introspection on our, our time there and what we did, you know, people we've lost, uh, people we lost, you know, after the fact, once they're back home to you know, suicide or whatever. So a, a lot of us are just really torn and conflicted. And I think, you know, it, Afghanistan is a complicated place. So it's really, it's not like we we didn't think this was going to end one way, because I think that's pretty much the majority deciding you know, this was only going to end one way uh, with what we saw over there. We had people we cared for over there that worked with us that, you know, our hearts are with them. Uh, we don't always agree with the way things, uh, you know, are are going down. But at the end of the day, there's just a lot of insurmountable challenges that we could be there another 20 years. And there's just some things that would not not be fixed over there. And now, you know, this is probably a big step backward for them, especially with all the work we did in technology and trying to bring them up into the modern era and the advantages that stuff brings. You know, we just don't know what the future holds. Well, and David, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I asked that question was because everyone has an opinion, but it's it's always helpful to get the perspective of someone that was boots on the ground that, you know, was there, you know, helping to, as you said, you know, bring, you know, a, a nation up to 
today or, you know, into the, you know, modern world um, from a technology standpoint. I, and with, you know, all the, the banter and um, different opinions flying around, I don't think we always get that perspective. So I appreciate you being willing to share that. I appreciate that. My pleasure. All right. So, David, going back over to what you're currently involved with, which is um, the state of Georgia, I wanted to find out from you, what would you say is the current level of cybersecurity preparedness at the state of Georgia? Compared to when we last spoke, I would say it's very much improved. It is improving. You know, we're still a very federated environment with, you know, roughly 120 plus agencies out there. Some of them are very small. So it's still a, a wide range of maturity levels out there. I would say some of those at the low end, we would we always say they're not improving fast enough, but you know, we do do see some improvement. And that's just our job every day is say making those connections, bringing them, you know, bringing them in and seeing how we can assist them, trying to break down those traditional silos of silos of excellence of government where, you know, one side doesn't talk to the other. And and that's been a huge part of my job. You know, I was pretty pretty green when we first when we first spoke and I didn't know and I didn't know but still that's been a lot of my job is just really trying to convince people that you know we are an honest broker we're here to help there's no politics behind what the office of information security is doing we're really just interested in you know increasing the cybersecurity posture uh, protecting the services that you know our citizens rely on day to day and and trying to address uh, common gaps across the board instead of you know, having people just have to solve these things on their on their own, you know, through their own appropriation requests and things like that. We're really trying to take an enterprise approach and you know, identify those common problems, get technology selected and, and spread it across the enterprise and kind of address some of these things. Because, you know, as much as we talk about talent and different things, I mean, there are some of that's just not going to happen quick enough. So we we've got to work together on it. It's got to be a team sport because the the adversary and what they do is just it just morphs and advances too rapidly for us not to lock arms and combine our resources and really you know do what's best to protect our services for the state. Well, that that phrase is ringing in my mind as I'm listening to you, David. You know, we are better together. We're stronger together. I know you mentioned that you have responsibility or you know you're covering 120 plus departments you know, across the state, are there maybe one or two that have, you know, stood out and, you know, you don't necessarily have to name them, but, you know, are there one or two that have like kind of embraced your way of doing things? And you're like, man, if we could get the rest of the folks on board like this, uh, that would be amazing. I think they've all been pretty, pretty receptive. It's uh, just a function of, you know, in the past year, you know, our, our execution of our plans, you know, really say, you know, your plan never survives first contact intact and same was with COVID. So, you know, we did have to pivot uh, significantly to not only the issues around having a mobile workforce all of a sudden for a lot of agencies, but, you know, all the healthcare agencies, as you can imagine, um, that that fall under our governance had a lot of things they had to do and, and do them rapidly. So for, for them to do that, you know, sometimes the first thing that goes out the door when you're trying to do an something quickly is security. So just staying engaged with those organizations and making sure that we had a seat at the table and make sure we were doing things uh, safely, securely, and securely as we develop things and implement them 
and things of that nature. Uh, that's been the, the real challenge. We were able to round out our team during that time uh, with some of the things we talk about on our last podcast about how we changed our approach to you know, who's eligible to cyber positions and things like that. We're still trying to propagate that across the enterprise successfully like we've done here at at GTA. So COVID kind of slowed that down, but it did benefit us because rounding out the team, you know, we did have a a few incidents during that time that we had to respond to. And that's kind of the operational thing of what my office does. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty much in the strategic lane around governance. But, you know, if there is actually an incident in the state with an executive branch agency, uh, we do respond to that. And we have a few tools in the toolbox. And, you know, local government for that matter, we're partnered with uh, the Georgia Emergency Management Agency. So, so any local government has an issue. The call really comes to me and my team. And we adjudicate that and figure out, you know, what to do, because, you know, Governor Kemp has made it clear that if it's impacting citizens, then we need to be involved in one way, shape or form. You know, as long as we're what we're doing is within the confines of the law, it may just be uh, over the shoulder help or over the phone and identifying some resources or utilizing our contracts. Some of that may, you know, involve the National Guard, which obviously I have a a natural in with coming from that that, uh, organization. Right. But I think that's kind of where we are now. You know, fast forward, like what's going on now is, you know, we dealt with all the ransomware. A lot of that was just targeted at individual agencies. We've kind of seen a shift in the mindset of the adversary on what they're going after. And that's, you know, shifted to kind of supply chain concerns. So, you know, that's kind of taken a little bit of the pressure off and we're trying to take advantage of that time to we're not done here just because, you know, we're not maybe getting hit as hard as we were, you know, a couple of years ago because they could just as easily, you know, pivot the other way and come back. But but that's just like Colonial Pipeline has shown a light on like, OK, Homeland Security. Where we are, are we with that? Let's start to get get more of those things under the umbrella at the local level and things like that. So we're we're working on that integration at the emergency management agencies and increasing outreach to first responders, people on the front lines, and just trying to get get that to be a solid approach all across the state, um, so we can we can meet our mission. Okay. Well, great. So, David, you mentioned a moment ago the initiative that you had um, when you first came into the role of wanting to revamp the cybersecurity job descriptions there at the state. Uh, Can you share a little bit more on, you know, how that's been going and, you know, what what sort of results? Again, you, you alluded to a little bit of it, but, you know, just wanted to give you the floor to share some more about that. Sure. So what we had done is just really take a look at those job descriptions and what the the minimum entry requirements were for those jobs. And, and most of them across the board, they were all just under our IT job families or that you had to have a four-year degree. So we started looking at, you know, one, we, we developed descriptions specific to cyber. Um, and then we started to look at with these different levels, you know, what should the government target? Because obviously we're not competing, you know, with the private sector when it comes to that. So just taking a look at what we were able to do in some of our partnerships with some of the technical colleges. Technical colleges are actually something that's underneath our our governance for the executive branch, um, whereas the university system is, you know, separate. So we started to take a look at it and say, you know, entry-level positions, you know, we labeled them just as, you know, high school degree with some kind of certification, And then next level up, you know, associate's degrees are okay. So it really expanded our pool, uh, especially when you're looking at people that are going into new programs to change jobs and everything else. You know, we figured we could get some of these people earlier in their career, train them. You know, we may lose them after two or three years, but then we just start the process again. But if we created a good culture for them and we invested in them that, you know, you know, my theory was that our retention rates will be 
higher than we thought because you know not everybody's just gonna gonna chase the dollars uh, for some of those other positions and could be a function of just COVID slowing it down and people hunkering down. But, you know, we, we haven't really had any churn with the people that we brought in uh, with that approach, created a good culture, a good team and like being here and what we're doing now, you know, we've taken those same things and we made it available to all the state agencies. So when they hire, they can use those uh, job descriptions, but the barrier we really haven't or the hurdle we haven't gotten over yet is is other agencies like reclassifying people that are currently doing cyber roles because uh, a few surveys we've done, you know, it just depends on the agencies. A lot of people are dual-hatted in some type of cyber role. I mean, maybe they're a system admin and the, you know, security professional. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're they're doing security and they just still have one of those IT labels. But there are new salaries attached to these things. So that's really where we are with the agencies. Okay, if I reclass these employees, What's it going to do to me financially? Is someone going to help me with that extra, you know, money if we don't have it in appropriations and things like that? So that's what we're trying to work through with the Office of uh, Planning and Budget and some of these other agencies to to get the people properly reclassed, get them into this new category, um, and then you know we'll be able to kind of manage them holistically. Uh, once we actually know who is actually doing cyber things across the state, because it's just not an easy thing to get to right now, um, because you also want to support them through your education program, you know, continuing education certifications and the different standards we implemented for having these jobs. So, you know, we can we can just feel better that that we know who they are and they're, they're getting the proper support that they need at, at their level, you know, performing cybersecurity tasks. David, there's there's so much that you just shared. And I think one of the main things was you reclassified the jobs so that people with a minimum of a high school diploma and some sort of certification could have access to these great positions within the state of Georgia. The other thing that you said that I absolutely love is that you've created the environment where now that these people are on board and, you know, they're they're doing their day-to-day tasks. Doesn't sound like they want to leave, David. You, you said churns pretty low. So, you know, I, I think of that analogy, you know, getting the right people on the bus. Well, look, man, the, the bus seems to be full because nobody wants to get off. <laughs> yeah, so far. I, I don't know if I can take credit for that completely, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have them. And, you know, we do have a great team and a great culture. And we're, we're Joe, we've done a good job of, picking the right personalities to come into the team. And, and it's a very diverse group. You know, I've, I've got a lot of diversity, We're probably the most diverse group in our organization. And, you know, as a, as a leader, it is one of my specific tasks to, you know, I don't hire people like me. Um, just, I don't want another person that thinks like I think or whatever, you know, um, you know, we got to, we got to keep each other honest I've got a a great director of cybersecurity underneath me that came from the attorney general's office, and she's uh, she's very passionate. Uh, We challenge each other all the time. We we definitely don't agree a lot, but, you know, we're there's solidarity at the end of the day. But the fact that we can have that kind of dialogue and just not transgress in the in the group think and things like that's important to me. So and I think that's what makes things successful. and, And everybody's got a seat at the table and can you know, express their opinion. So um, I, I think it makes us stronger. So, Well, David, I'm, I'm not going to let that last series go by without highlighting the fact that as a leader, you said, you know, diversity is important to you. 
right? And so you you highlighted the fact that you know your your right hand person, who's also a former guest on the podcast, Aristotle. Oh, I did not know that. Or maybe I did and I forgot. <laughs> right. So yeah, Aracelis Caraballo is mm-hmm. um, there with you, you know, at the state of Georgia. And, you know, so the point that you were making about diversity, it's not just, you know, diversity in background, um, diversity in ethnicity, diversity in gender, but I love the fact that you highlighted diversity of thought. You don't need 12 David Allens running around in your department. Expand on that just a little bit, that that whole diversity of thought piece. Yeah. So, I mean, when when I was hiring for that director position, you know, I had quite a few candidates and, you know, more than one of them, you know, you read their resumes and their resume read like mine. I mean, they might have had some military background. I mean, they had the same uh, kind of education that I did, you know, and things like that. And, you know, I've I've seen what group think does. I mean, going to the military environment, you know, that's one of the things the military does well. You know, they hammer you into a into a profile, teach you how they want things done. There's there's not a lot of, you know, until you get to the highest levels, you know, you're not encouraged to go outside the lines necessarily. Um, but when you, you know, get in the private sector and you want to start talking about things about, you know, innovation and things of that nature, that's why it's hard for an organization like the Army to innovate because it's just not something that's baked into the culture from day one. But I had any number of people that that pretty much looked like me on paper. And then, you know, Aracelis comes to me who who I knew just by virtue of her, her, her role, but um, didn't know her that well. But, you know, just taking a chance on her and just saying, you know, she's the only one that's, that's different from this pile that I'm looking at. And I'm getting pushed by people to, hey, this is the person that's that's the best one out there. Look at that resume. I'm like, yeah, but that's not it's not what I'm looking for, you know, and I don't have any guarantees that that person is going to stay or that type of thing. So really, I just I just trusted my gut and I made a decision and it's and it's worked out. So, oh, that's good stuff, David. <laughs> So this is actually a nice segue into this next question. You know, you've touched on, you know, your being an adjunct professor there at Georgia State, your passion for giving back, your passion for young people. And so what advice would you give a young person who's looking into cybersecurity or technology um, as a future career? I think the amazing thing right now is that because I was kind of involved in cyber at the very beginning in my former role. And, you know, again, it was, they were kind of stamping everybody in one mold. I don't know if that was to be a SOC engineer or just, you know, just that deep into cyber, but the industry has grown so much that there's so many different roles now from, you know, governance roles to, you know, working in the SOC to, you know, out there doing, doing audits and assessments and, and things of that nature, just, it's it's very varied. So when I run into these students, you know, some may be stronger technical than others. You know, that causes a little bit of anxiety with them. Am I am I cut out for this? Can I do it? Um, and I just say, hey, there there is a place for you. You just need to kind of figure out. You don't have to have something specific. Just choose a direction and start moving that way. Because you know, as you get into a role and you start working and you just Focus on being as good as you can in that role. Other windows of opportunity are going to open. That's really how my career has gone is, you know, with the different windows that open, it's not anything that ever would have been able to anticipate. So you can't stress out too much on taking the first step. You just got to take one. And then, you know, then you're off to the races. So that's what I try to share. Uh, You know, 
there. Usually have a lot of anxiety on where they're going and what they're doing. Um, try not to make them stress out too much. There, there's a place for them. There's lots of opportunity out there. There's tons of jobs um, that are unfilled. But I guess the second part of that is in order to get there, uh, you also have the network and establish those relationships, like you said, with the system the way it currently is. Uh, it's even though there's so much need out there, I there's still a lot of talk amongst our profession on how hard it is to get in the door with the way some of these things are are addressed or constructed at the HR level or whatever. You know, you're looking for somebody with 30 years of cyber experience. I'm not sure we've been at this for 30 years. You know, I mean, it's just so trying to trying to make those relationships so you can at least have that conversation to get your foot in the door is, is probably the most important thing right now. Cause I don't see a lot of success with, with some of these students just applying something to online. So my hope was with COVID and everything else that we would get back to job fairs and other things that actually put us back in front of each other. So we could, you know, identify talent and do that kind of thing. But, but right now I think there's a disconnect. You got a lot of talent and potential coming out of institutions and still, we just don't have it figured out on how we're filling filling some of these slots. And he was saying there's a talent shortage. There's really not. There's just something broken in our process. So, David, I, I could not agree more. So when you think of, as you said, you know, one of your students graduating or getting close to graduation and they're going on these job boards or these different social media platforms and they see there are plenty of positions out there, but that that resume submission gets filtered through a tracking system. And if you don't meet the, as you said, 30 years of cybersecurity experience, guess what? Your resume doesn't go anywhere. Right. And so it it is important to network and to have someone be able to hand your resume or, you know, introduce you to a person, you know, that can actually make a hiring decision. Yeah, I think the ones that have had the most success are those that have looked at internships because, you know, one, it's a it's a resume generating event for them. And the second is when it when it comes to the corporation or whatever, that's a low risk proposition for them. You know, they haven't locked into a person long term. It's really not costing them that much money. And uh, and once a lot of them are getting in, I don't I don't know a whole lot that are coming out the other side that don't at least have a job offer in their hand. Now, you know, some have chosen to seek something else or just go on to grad school, but um, everyone I've interacted with that got an internship somewhere has ended up with an opportunity. So that's pretty much my advice right now is, you know, it, it may not be exactly what you want now because you're looking for a job or whatever, but, but it's worth it because, uh, you know, at least for that six months or whatever it is, you're, you're actually getting paid, you're figuring things out, you're getting an opportunity with the company, you're generating something on your resume, and it, it will probably end up in a job offer. It may not be where you wanted to end up, but get somewhere, get some experience, get the resume. And once that experience is there, the way the, the job market is with cyber, uh, it won't be long until you find what you, what you need. But, but getting that first job is really important. Uh, for your future success. So. Well, David, that's certainly wonderful advice. I want to ask you this next question. What teacher at any level has had the most impact on you? I had to think a minute about this question because, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I have a few memorable teachers and some are probably memorable for how hard they were. And everybody absolutely hated having that professor. Um, but I'm not a person that had that, you know, I wish I was, has had that one teacher that, you know, changed my life, whatever. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that. Really, that moment really came from uh, once I was in the military as a young lieutenant, 
Um, there was a specific leader that was one of my first battalion commanders. Um, and like I mentioned, like you're expected to be in a certain mold. You know, that's when I really learned that, hey, you can just the way they were, they were they were humble. You know, they were quiet, they were reserved. But when they when they spoke, you know, people listened because they knew what they were talking about. They took time with their junior mentors. They just didn't, uh, you know, they just didn't sit up on high. They actually spent time to mentor junior leaders. Um, and at the same time, you know, they were, as, as they put it, their quote, you know, tough as woodpecker lips. So that was my first real mentor and look into, look, you can, you can be you. You just got to figure out your style. You got to figure out what works. You know, I'm not a type A person, but I was in the type A environment. And that was the first one I ran into. He's like, hey, that works for him and he makes it work. And I just kind of adopted that style and it's been it's been good for me. So, well, yeah, sounds like it's certainly served you well, David. We are going to jump in the time machine, sir. And we are going to go back to 18 year old David Allen. Um, what is the David Allen of today going to tell his 18 year old self? I try to think of that guy, you know, it's been so long. It's like what? Who was that? Who was that kid? You know, I was a person that had a big chip on my shoulder, had big dreams, big vision, you know, didn't have a lot growing up, a lot of expectations being the, the oldest son and everything like that. So, you know, it was just uh, it was just interesting. So you, know, you kind of gave this question and this is actually the one that stumped me and I've had to think about it for for a while. But um, when it came right down to it, you know, I, I think the number one thing, if I had one thing to say, it would be never be afraid to take your own advice because I've had any number of decision points through my life, be it career wise or personal, you know, where you have someone there on, hey, I don't know if you want to do that or do you think if you think you can do that is the right thing. You know, is she the one for you? You know. All well-intended advice, I'm sure, but at the end of the day, you know, take my own counsel, knowing what I wanted and just, you know, going for it. That's made all the difference in my life. So I would never want to temper that that 18-year-old's ambition or or chip on their shoulder just to, just to prove themselves because it's, you know, even though I'm, I'm much more reserved and, and relaxed these days, you know, at the time, it, it really just made me who I am. So Well, David, there's... um a quote that you brought to mind, and I'm not sure immediately of the source or um, whether it was a quote or a poem, but it talks about um, being the master of your own fate and just how, you know, taking on that responsibility or taking on that role makes life just that much sweeter and that much better. Absolutely. Believe in that. Reinvented myself a number of times, just put, put the mark on the wall and you're not always successful, but but there are other ways to get there. So if you're really passionate about it, there is a way to get there. And you just you just got to have faith in yourself and, you know, don't don't listen to the naysayers. There you go. Great advice. Well, David, we've come to the end of our time together. But before we go, what is the best way for people to get in contact with you? The best way at this point is just get me on LinkedIn. I used to have Twitter kind of kind of drop that for various reasons. But um, but yeah, I've got a. Uh, Still got a presence there on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with you that way. Okay, great. And certainly we'll put David's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Um, David, as always, thank you so much for agreeing to come back a second time. Um, so nice we had to do it twice. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to come back a third some point in the future. And we will, we will definitely 
take you up on that. And so, David, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights, your willingness to share. Um, and as always, Techamay Presents family, thank you for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.